0: Oh, I love this armature. It's so convenient. Uh, There I am. Rock me like a hurricane. Hi guys. I'm back. It's Cushy's World Tour, or I guess basement tour, backyard tour rather. But he never really left anywhere. I'm pretty convinced that all of those Joey videos take place in the exact same fucking... The, the parking lot of the same awful giant mall. And he just drives around and goes to the different places and gets a thing to eat it there. He's never even left this whatever fucking county he lives in. Fucking Joey, what a fraud. It was such a uh, non-shock when I found out that he was a big Trub supporter. It's like, really, the guy whose job is to stuff himself uh, for the... Cackling amusement of a bunch of rubes on YouTube likes Donald Trump. I can't believe it. What would he have to see in Trump? What would a guy like Joey's World Tour have to see in common with Trump? That's absurd. Uh, So the Department of Homeland Security is just abducting people off the streets in Portland, huh? That's happening now. That's the, next, uh, that's the next escalation. That's pretty wild. you got to say, that's, that's, and that is an escalation for sure. And I'm seeing a lot of people who are saying, like, all right, this is the fascism. You know the fascism we've been worrying about? It's here. And, I mean, while this is certainly an escalation in authoritarianism, I think, once again, the word fascism kind of obscures the reality of what we're dealing with. Because, I mean, if you're just using fascism as a sine qua non for authoritarianism, then fine, whatever. But if you're trying to describe... You know, the phenomenon of a a terminally critical capitalism, a dying capitalism trying to protect itself by uh, creating a a, a nationalist, uh, right, populist movement. Uh, This is an example of that. Uh, This is an example of why we're actually in a scarier situation than that. Because I honestly think one of the reasons people like to think that fascism is what we're dealing with is because it imagines that they'll get to fight it again. They'll get to go in the streets like the Red Front Fighters did. They'll get, to, they'll get to be, they'll get to put their stamp on history and say like, even if they win, even if this is the Fourth Reich, I, I'm not gonna go down as one of, those, uh, one of Hitler's willing executioners or, or one of the good Germans who followed orders. I'll go down there as like one of the, one of the first uh, communists to go into the fucking uh, concentration camps after the Night of the Long Knives and the Enabling Act. But this is actually kind of scarier because this isn't the cops this isn't the authorities this isn't capital sending out street thugs to stop people from uh from uh protesting it's first using the existing police structure to uh, beat down the uh, initial excitement and enthusiasm of the, the uh protesters and then as the protests kind of lost their coherence. They didn't necessarily stop happening, but they were no longer part of a coherent movement with coherent goals. Uh, even if, you know, you can say, oh, there's, there's a political track, there is, but at the level of, like, the individual... I mean, it doesn't seem to me there's a lot of coordination between when cities have protests or what they're demanding, uh, and I'm not blaming anyone for that. That's the nature of protests, that's the nature of politics in the late, in 21st century America. But what part of the reason? Part of the result of that is that we are then demobilized. And then what we're seeing now is they'll just grab people one by one. They'll literally pull them away when they're not part of any greater group, when they don't have to worry about any kind of uh, consequences for doing so. And then have everybody individually suffer the trauma of this police uh, uh, tactic. I mean, I'm sure a lot of these people are probably just, they've probably already been let out after being questioned. But the, the psychological impact has already been been felt. They've experienced like what it would be like to be one of the disappeared in Chile or Argentina. You know And if they're good leftists, they sure shit know about that. Uh, it's like how they fake-executed Dostoevsky in the gulag to scare him straight. And it worked, by the way, which is the funny thing, uh, by turning him into an ecstatic uh, Christian. But, but by cutting us off from the herd one by one and traumatizing us individually in a way that won't afford us a chance to react in the moment. That's how this is, that's how they're gonna, that's how they're going to establish whatever uh, lifeboat capitalism is coming. That's how they're gonna maintain the physical perimeter around remaining centers of capital. That's why we need, that's why we need an organized counter movement as soon as possible. And uh, I saw this today. I mean, I know that we've talked about how, like, the question of abolishing the police and, you know, dealing with uh, the fact that there is a genuine need for a police force to exist, for monopoly to be violent, for violence to be monopolized by the state, for some enforcement of, of laws in order to maintain basic social stability under capitalism, which we still live under, but also the need to have a long term vision to, to end it. You know, those things, are that's a real argument. But something like DHS, which is the people doing this, it's not the local uh, Portland cops, it's Department of Homeland Security. Abolishing DHS is a fucking slam dunk. That should just be an unambiguous demand because it's not necessary in any way. It's just a coordinating, it's just one of those fucking coordinating fusion centers for distribution of authoritarian violence. Like they pioneered during the Phoenix Project and then brought home. And that's why, you know, the degree to which the police have to be restrained and have their power reduced, which is significantly, disarming them is one of the big things that should be demanded. Because a lot of these cops will quit if they don't get to have guns, and then the ones who would join would be less insane. Uh, And of course, you know, you have to worry about the whole, uh, you know, deep question, but I think that could be managed... Uh, in the context of radical uh redistribution of like securing the base of the economic structure of America, removing the the winnowing horror the grinding ceaseless uh, uh, uh traverse on the fucking uh on the conveyor belt towards the the smashing machine from fucking temple of doom that we 're actually on like diverting from that will reduce a lot of that uh It'll reduce the need for policing. It'll reduce uh, the the danger of the ex-cops left to their own devices, and it will make the jobs of the remaining and new cops easier. But I mean. If you're not going to abolish the policing role in society, and you can't do that until capitalism is finished, and I don't think anybody has a realistic plan to end capitalism in the near future, that means they have to be realistic. You have to ask, what is going to work? What's, gonna, what's a possible ask that can be pushed towards becoming that non-reform reform, or even if you hate electoralism, that thing that makes people say that's enough to fight over and join your cause, which they are, are not enough of right now. And to me, that's the number one question, and that's what infuriates me about so much discourse, is so little of it is about that. So little discourse is about how to get more people. It's a meta discourse on, like, what the perfect person to get is. Because it's all about embodying an ideal type and then measuring people against that. But they're not there yet, so they don't have the markers you're looking for. But that doesn't mean that they're inherently on the wrong side. That doesn't mean that they have bad faith. It means that they have not imbibed whatever you're trying to sell. And that means you have to make it in some way uh, something they would want to try. It can't just be tonic of, of, uh, of, of guilt and, and taking responsibility and all that shit. Because why would anyone sign up for that? without an upside, because they don't already accept the undergirding assumptions that you do. But yeah, no, uh, the DHS is terrifying. Uh, And the the amount of information, I mean, the NHS is a whole other deal, or the NSA, rather. You know, we kind of all forgot about it, but the nightmare from the movie Enemy of the State, where the government can hack onto your computer or phone at any moment, is true. They can get in. They can watch this webcam. Of course, they could do that anyway. But they could watch it when I'm taking a shit. They could read every email. It's just—I mean, really—the argument against, like, why you shouldn't be freaked out about that is essentially, well, that's so much data that they can't really find anything, and that's true. They're not going to just dip their hands in and find out that you, uh, you know, bought black uh, dark web uh, DMT or something. They're gonna. They're going to poke it at the specific people. And then they're going to find the information that way. And so this thing of, NA, of DHS, probably going off of data they got from the NSA, NSA, going in and plucking up people who two weeks earlier like spray-painted ACAB on the side of a building, all the stuff that, they, that DHS uh, came up with as destifications, the, the lawlessness of... Uh, of Portland boiled down to fucking graffiti charges from weeks earlier. Like nothing like an emergency. Someone asked if you should read Reagan Land or Nixonland first. You should read before the storm first. There's four books. You should read them in order. Because it's a it's a story that unfolds over time. Before the storm, Nixon Land, Invisible Bridge, and then Reagan Land. Because you can't really understand uh, Nixon unless you understand uh, water, uh, Goldwater and the pressure that Goldwater represented, the new type of conservative I was talking about last week, or uh, or earlier this week, the Sun Belt, which was dominated by oil and natural gas money and uh, aerospace and defense. C- c- Contracting, from from Orange County to Texas, basically. That's where the new money in the Republican Party came from, where the new ideology was born. Uh, Goldwater represented it, and then later uh, it came into fruition in Orange County, California. Aerospace and defense uh, hotbed. Uh, I mean, and it was, of course, this wildly uh, 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 hypocritical movement of people in industries, all of which completely depended on government largesse. Like Orange County was built by the defense uh, industry. That's direct government money spent. Uh, natural gas and oil depended on the oil depletion allowance. I mean that's why they bought uh, LBJ and a million other politicians was to maintain the, the delicate balances of tax rebates and incentives they got that made it worth it to risk pumping for oil. Uh, and then, of course, big ranchers who complained about having to pay grazing fees for land that was, entire, that was only accessible to them because of the depredations of the U.S. government that fucking dispossessed Native peoples and created infrastructure for their behalf. And it's, it's, It was essentially a movement of uh, sore winners, the ungrateful winners of America, the people who did so well in that post-war, immediate post-war period, that they immediately decided that they weren't doing well enough and blamed everybody else who wasn't as smart. They applied some of that Calvinism, that deep American Calvinism, to say, why isn't everybody where I am? Why isn't everybody with their lovely uh, house and my lovely pool and my lovely wife? Well, it must be because they're in, in, insufficiently American. They're too Jewish. They're too, they have too much ethnicity to them. Uh, they, they don't have enough American stick-to-it of blah, blah, blah. Purely just self-flattering. I mean, fucking Barry Goldwater inherited a family, uh, uh, a family department store. And his grandfather only went to Arizona to sell uh, military goods to the army. And, 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 but they didn't feel that, because that kind of provision is by the way that we structure things invisible. Because the people at the top are not being given, right? Like, we think of welfare as, as this distribution downward to the poor. Uh, and we think of uh, people at the top paying taxes or, or, uh, uh, and giving to the state to give to that person. When in reality, that's all money being pulled upward. The state exists to upwardly re- redistribute money away from the people who produce it, the people who produce value, to the people who parasitically squat over them, like vampires. And so, so I talked the other day about ideology and how some disagreements within the Republican Party are not ideologically, they're informational. Ideological, they're informational. And somebody asked what I meant by that. And I want to say first that that's not quite true. There's no such thing as informational that is not ideological. But the differences, the arguments are along a different axis than the people in them think they are. But anyway, uh, this is to say... So this new sunbelt conservatism emerges right and what it's hostile to is the internationalism of the establishment republican party that was dominated by wall street finance capital banks the lenders who had uh and and banks are who you borrow money from if you're these people if you're people from the, the sun coast so you actually see them not even as your uh your friends but your enemies as your exploiters and the government exists to help the banks exploit you even though you're benefiting from the same arrangement you are also having uh, income redistributed upward to you but it's being screened by ideology because you're at the top you get to think of yourself as uh, as a put-upon whereas the poor person gets to f- gets to feel like a like a fucking mooch for even deigning to get uh, the dole they have to feel like there's so much shame among a low uh, among poor people about getting handouts even though it's 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 the scraps left over from after the fucking orgy of uh, upward redistribution to the jackal-like parasitic upper class, but that's not how they that's not how the, the ideology exists to make them feel. Because ideology exists to make poor people okay with what's up with them with, with their lives. makes it, It's basically to, to uh, assuage the uh, the misery of the poor by making them feel that they have it coming in some way or that they can make it, if they just apply themselves, they won't be that way anymore. And then for rich people, it uh, tells them that they deserve what they have. That's what ideology exists for, for, people, for rich people to do, is to make you feel like this state of affairs in which I have wildly more than other people, into a disgusting degree, is justified. And, uh, and that's because everybody's alienated in capitalism, but the alienation is different. It's some degree of alienation of self the way the poor people and, uh, and the uh, working class people are exploited of their time, their species being, that, like they're alienated from the time of their, ex- their actual existence. Rich people are alienated from everybody else. Rich people are alienated wildly from the human species. They're, they're, they live essentially separate. And that is also an alienation. And it's like a pebble in the brain. And it has to be assuaged. And ideology is there to assuage both of those things. Both for the purpose of maintaining the system. They're the, they are the, the ideology and culture and the culture that spawns it are like capitalism's, uh, uh, um, what do you call it, white blood cells. It's the uh, immune system, that's what I was thinking. Capitalism's immune system, social immune system, is ideology through culture. And both at the top and at the bottom, it's supposed to keep people where they are and keep people not char- ch- trying to change the arrangement. So what that means, though, is that at the top, ideology eventually becomes so overwhelming uh, because of the difference between the world as it exists and the world as you think it should. Like, for example, I talk about how like, conservatives really think America is great. America's great. It's a land of opportunity. It's the blessed country because I'm here and I'm doing well. It's, it's, it's self-worship, just like they, their version of God is them, too. It's all worshiping their ego. They don't know that, but that's what they're doing. They're worshiping their ego by, 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 equiv- by making it equivalent to God and to America. But then America is filled with suffering and misery and social conflict and the culture. Oh, my God, we keep getting our values spit at us and we keep losing all this respect and we're not being validated by the very thing that we think is the greatest thing that exists on Earth. How can that be? And so ideology exists to make us answer that question without saying capitalism. Without saying you are being pulled away from all humanity and everything you thought you valued is being dissolved into fucking ether by the the rationalizing madness of capitalism, defining all relationships between everything through transaction, robbing everything of sacredness, spirituality, social meaning, anything. We are desacralizing the world but you believe in spirit. At least you think you do, but you can't admit that it's capitalism. So what is it? Oh, it's the cultural Marxist, blah, blah, blah. And what that does is over time, because reality doesn't fit with your ideology, you start ignoring the parts of reality you don't like, not even on purpose. You are you, you, you just glide over them when you uh, encounter them, which means even though capitalism is rule of, of the... Uh, Work, ruling class of, of the of the bourgeois of the of the ownership class, uh, uh, it's not rulership of the of the ruling class. According to their interests, it's to the um, to their understanding of those interests. They're they they are operating in their best interest as they understand them, and everyone's understanding is limited. And the more out of touch you get with reality becoming by being rich, the more you have to fill in the gaps of your understanding of the world with ideology. That's what fills all the cracks and keeps the, sh- the ship from w- see- sinking. And that means that eventually you're not operating with a, f- with a real understanding of the world. And that means that you're no longer operating in your best interests. And that is the war within the capitalist class that we're seeing played out at the political level. Right now... Like, Trump was the v- final victory and takeover of the party by those people, who Perlstein documents their rise to power in the Republican Party in his books, those people who were uh, small bourgeois, local manufacturers and small business owners, and, and, uh, and uh, the, the, the more successful uh, uh, aerospace and, and defense uh, professionals and stuff. Uh, them saying... My country isn't what I want it to be anymore. Those damn Wall Street uh, uh, fat cats are, are ruining capitalism. Instead of understanding the way that the people in Wall Street did, they pulled all the first guys from OSS, from the Wall Street law firms, because those things essentially already operated as espionage organizations. They were all over the world. Uh, with information gathering such si- systems in order to figure out what the what the business conditions were all over the world, so they understood it in a way that the locally focused small bourgeois in America couldn't. That the only that the real game in town in the Cold War was capitalism as a world system versus so- social- socialism as a world system, or communism as a world system, and as such. We had to do things like build up the capacity of uh, our foreign uh, erstwhile allies. Uh, I mean, partially that helps us like prevent a crisis of overproduction because that means someone is there to buy all of our stuff. Uh, but it also means that they're less likely to fall to communism and they're stronger in their resistance to communism. And we did everything we could to make that happen. I mean, the Marshall Plan, Operation Gladio, Vietnam War, these are all parts of that. The, uh, the entire gamesmanship was maintaining... Uh, maintaining access on, on terms of the purchaser of third world uh, raw materials in a post-colonial context, essentially reimposing colonialism uh, through the market, through the, through the new IMF, World Bank, Bretton Woods system. And then after that, the petrodollar. They understood that because they faced outward. The small bourgeois represented by now Trump did not, but they eventually took over the political body of the Republican Party, but they could had no control over the actual uh, uh, momentum of, of of world capitalism independently of them. Like they they gave up uh, any once they took over the political level, once they took over the levels of political power, they did. They gave up demanding control over the economic questions. Because the early, uh, the early versions of this, like, like uh, Robert Taft opposed the Marshall Plan. He said, what are we doing giving all this money to the fucking Germans we just blew up? And Wall, and Wall Street, represented by Eisenhower, basically cooed him to keep him from the office in '52 because they're like, hey, moron, we don't want Europe to go communist, you fucking dullard, you Ohio fucking cheeseball. You're too stupid to understand this? But by the eighties, Reagan carries out deregulation just like Carter was, just like Ford was, just like Nixon was, just accelerates the timeline of of turning every American city into a fucking bombed out wreck and then just filling it with cops. He didn't do anything about that. Not a god he didn't lift a finger. He cut taxes, and he cut regulations. And he got that money flowing up north. He got he redistributed that shit up. But he didn't do a fucking thing about the larger questions of like the global economy and America's industrial. Because it's all really about jobs and industrial capacity. That's what all this boils down to. And and whether we're going to have a nationalist economy or not, and the more advanced elements like progress as in understanding what they're actually fighting for. Conservatives understand that, and now there are Democrats, and now we're seeing the final war. It used to be within the Republican Party. Now that they've defeated the Republican Party, because the Democrat Party can only re- re- respond by going to the right with the Republicans, as the Republicans squeezed out the establishment like multilateral conservatives, they got absorbed by the Democrats, which of course is trying to also hold on to the left, and we'll see how, lo- how well they do that in the fall. They're probably going to do well because everyone hates Trump, but whether they're there for the midterms or something, I have a, I have a feeling we're going to see just an accelerated version of Obama all over again. Uh, only you know, he wins. He only wins one term this time. So that's why ideology has to be considered in every question, and you cannot like. I see a lot of people uh, who you have a very like stiff def- definition of like capitalist interests, and they'll say, you know, oh, it's not in capital's interest to do X, Y, or Z, and that neglects a couple of things. It neglects one that even if you're talking about capital at its most self-aware, like international finance capital, they still have chinks in their armor, they still have things they don't know they don't know. They still operate under ideological assumptions that blind them to the world around them, and then, and then, and then at that level they don't even have anybody to really rub against, to, to, to refine down these contradictions because they're supreme. They're masters of the universe. They touch nothing, but everything falls before their hands, so they'll never reform their contradictions. So they have their own defects in perceiving their best interest, which is, a, 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 which is a, a, a vulnerability. But then these people who are still captured by a lower level of ideological uh, obfuscation, stuff that used to be for the rubes, but then, you know, everybody started watching the same TV shows. The old guys retired and died, and they got replaced by new old people whose brains been cooked by online in a way that older generations of rich guys weren't. And all of a sudden, they all really believed this shit. And that's why you see Trump do things that are like, this is counterproductive, what is this? It's because he's not operating from uh, correct premises. He wants to defend capitalism, but he doesn't know what it is. He wants to defend capitalism, but he thinks capitalism is the American economy. And that means he's going to make, even though he's operating from the same assumptions as the global capitalists of the Democratic Party, even though he's operating off the same assumptions, he's going to come to different conclusions, because he is at a lower level of awareness due to a greater level of ideological uh, mystification. At the very top level, uh, you know, the, like, that's why I think that the, the, the lizard person metaphor that uh, David Icke came up with is very, very useful and evocative. I hate that it's been so uh, tainted by associations with antisemitism. Because I don't think about Jews as not human. I, they, they're the they're like the Jewish tradition is the humanist tradition. Like that's it's the thread of like self-awareness uh, that runs through all all the it marbles all Western civilization and provides it with any kind of texture and contrast. It's it's vital. In, I mean, it's it, it to try to anti is just so stupid. I've talked about this. It's one of the it's one of the absolute number one brain fails. The way that you can just. Like quit taking the test and halfway through and just going out to jack off in the fucking bathroom. Just pathetic lack of rigor to just stop at that. But uh, but lizards aren't people. They're reptiles, which means that they don't have a human. Oh, uh, they don't have a human recognition of a recognition of one another as, as anything the same. They view us as different, as a different species. Because if they didn't, they wouldn't do what they do. Very simple. To do what you do at, a le- at that level of power, at that level of power. Because at lower levels, every I mean, everybody is exploiting to some degree. I mean, I when I order takeout, I'm an exploiter. You know, when I when I buy a fucking computer program or a, com- or a, a cell phone filled with fucking uh, slave labor produced coltan, I am exploiting. Everyone is exploiting to some degree or another. Uh, but these people are only exploiting and, and exploiting totally. They they have to have the same abstraction towards us that we do towards, you know, uh, towards, like, primates, maybe. And not even the smart ones, like monkeys. And that is reptilian. And the thing I just... I think the thing that I would add to the metaphor is that they're not like a race of reptilians. That if you do enough of their ritualized uh, violence to other people, you will become a lizard. Like, if I was going to do a a movie or something with, like, Illuminati shit, and I was going to have lizard people as the bad guy, it would not be they change faces because they're shapeshifters. It would be they change faces because they started off human. And then at some point they... they... They, they hit an inflection point of a lack of empathy, which they needed to do to keep fueling their, their behavior, to keep convincing themselves that another fucking yacht or another fucking uh, uh, mansion or a private island or even another hundred years of life in a fucking computer disk could be worth the wholesale suffering that they unleash on the world. I'm going to play this dalad of David Icke again. Still my favorite political song. I think this is the best song about politics ever written. And it's a fucking... Uh, and amazingly, it's acapella. And I don't think he ever released it on an album. Secret the of the world they Have stolen, stolen the world. my girl People keep saying, the shunt. What is that? That was the last of her I'd ever seen. I knew that her heart was the purest of pure. Through unbearable suffering she would endure. When she told of the lies and the hatred they spread. And our blood of blonde children was used in their bread. So she opened her mouth to the cold lizard tongue that was speaking in code of the work to be done to make sure that the truthful are made to look mad and the starving fat ashes for which they are glad. Because their brain was a camera, they just had to look. And they said she was wise from the pictures she took. Which were not unlike anything you'd ever seen To be drowning in honey, awake a dream A good question, but I can't find it. So that's the one. It's really good. And uh, it basically anticipates Pizzagate completely. And that was, made in, that was made for the 2004 John Kerry campaign for uh, a collection of a CD of songs by different artists to defeat Bush. Wah, wah. They had a they had murder's row on that album. David Byrne, They Might Be Giants. Uh, okay go when they were the big hits and they had that one on there but that like he gets he gets it in the central truth that the Q people also get to and that the reptile thing gets to which is to do what these people are doing to us they have to be sick like that is the big refrain among uh pizza gay people right these people are sick and the thing is, it's true, but who they think is sick are like Hollywood actors who make like $10 million a year, you know, like they think it, they think it's people because that's how they view the war is through a cultural lens to their minds. Like the t- guys they see on TV are the ones doing the evil because they live at that level of symbolic abstraction. Politics is the TV. The good guys are the good guys on TV. The bad guys are the bad guys on TV. So when they think of who is doing it, it's Robert De Niro. It's all the, the fake news uh, um, anchors. Uh, it's all the actors, like you saw the thing today of all the all the friends people being uh, uh, secretly executed this month and turned and replaced with holograms. It's just it's not being able to see the forest for the trees, and so they recognize that in a world this awful, someone is responsible, and that person is evil. That person has renounced humanity in a significant way and in a morally meaningful way. But who that is, it's the bad people in TV, because that's where they live and that's because most of them are boomers, and that generation was the first to become fully mediated, and it broke their brains. And I think you can argue, I really do think that at some level, I mean, obviously there's a lot of... When you talk about whether or not a project, a state project, a, a human project succeeds or not, there are a lot of variables. And some of them are contingent, some of them are completely determined by, by the, the very structure of the situation that they find themselves in. And I guess you could say that, like, the emergence of first television and then the internet is one of those things that was going to happen eventually, but man, it really fucking threw a, a wrench in the gears, I gotta say. I mean, you could argue that it, it, it accelerated certain processes of, like, uh, of empathy building across cultures, but at the cost of our ability to function as social beings, which means that any, like, ideological or, or, or you know... Um, social shift is totally secondary to that basic reality that we've been scrambled we've been turned into the dreaded pringle we are pringles trapped in a tube but i don't like saying that stuff too much because you just sound like a cranky old man you know Upset, I was thinking, that that's tells you where I have been since, like, the cops have started really cracking down on people. Last time I heard the helicopter that close, I thought of Goodfellas, and this time I thought of fucking Fly, uh, Apocalypse Now when they attack the village. So yeah, and I know the younger people are so computer adept that it's 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 silly. You're you're essentially demanding that people go back to wearing top hats and cravats in terms of talking, demanding behavior patterns that are that alien. I mean, it's a completely different thing. It's a different life. It's a different reality. And uh, we've never—I don't think we've ever really had that. At least not that we can remember, like culturally. Yeah, really. Infinite Jest really did nail it, because Infinite Jest understood that, that the uh, solipsistic seduction of entertainment uh, is incredibly powerful, because it allows you to live a simulated version of the life that we are all thrust into unknowingly and unwittingly, but on our terms, and without negative emotional consequences. And that is an insanely powerful seduction because life is suffering and it takes a lot of suffering to learn that that is all life is. And then it takes a lot of maturity and insight or luck to find yourself in a position to acknowledge, oh, that means that I have to deal with that. I can't flee from it. It will come and get me. And people get to that realization through repeated exposure to the traumas and horrors of life by seeking things and not getting them and then seeking things and then getting them and then having that not be sufficient after a while? The hedonic treadmill, we, we spend enough time on it and we get to realize, oh, this doesn't work. Hopefully, not always, but it's a, hopeful, it's a, it's a possibility. And it's, it's to the degree that humanity is redeemable, it's the degree to which we go through that process nowadays, nowadays, dang it, you can just opt instead for the internet. And I did it for years. That's how I know this is real. You can instead, oh, I'm not going to worry about that stuff. I'm not going to try to answer these questions of who I am, what I can do in the world, how I can apply myself, how I can apply my mind and my soul to the world around me, how I can reach out to other people and potentially be rejected and dealing with that rejection and building a strong enough self-image that I can withstand rejection and and uh being able to repeat come back after defeats and push myself that's how we gain talent that's how we gain wisdom that's how we gain love but it's also very scary and the first time you fail especially if it's when you're young the pain is massive and overwhelming and feels like it's the entire world and if you have this possible alternative to that where you get to build a life that has the same system of rewards and challenges and and satisfaction, but on a symbolic, intellectualized level, a lot of people are going to take it. I'm not saying you'll inevitably take it, but if that option exists, a lot of people are going to take it, and it's dangerous. It's dangerous, because it means that people get into their adult years without ever trying anything like getting by as little as they have to and then using the internet and video games specifically as a big like organizer to channel that unfulfilled human energy the remainder we have left that doesn't get alienated by capital Our, our, our peace with ourselves is the degree that we can, we can challenge that in a way that makes us feel like we're doing something useful. Useful to ourselves, first and foremost. But then, at a certain level, we recognize that that is inextricably linked to what's best for everybody. That those are one and the same. and That we have to move any way we can to pursue that. And I think that realization comes. And I think the internet makes it harder. but it also allows for things like, I mean, I wouldn't be where I was. I, I, it's, it's, it's very interesting. It's a possible counterfactual because the internet made my life harder and worse for many years. And then even after the show was successful, I was also not very happy for a lot of time. I was anx- anxious and I was uh, unse- insecure in it. And uh, I fe- But I also don't feel like I'd be where I am now if it wasn't for that. I wouldn't be able to go where I want to go from here if it wasn't for that. So it's all necessary, you know? I think that's, that's the power of, of uh, recognizing how important it is to drop guilt, uh, to not look backwards, beyond recognizing our mistakes. We recognize our mistakes so we don't repeat them. But then we have to drop any kind of negative association and guilt around anything we used to, we did in the past Because it will just make it harder for us to think. Because it will make it harder for us to really consider what we did and why we did it. Because we're not going to want to think about it. But if we rob it of that psychic uh, pain, if we rob it of the ability to hurt us, then we can really learn. We can learn from everything. And that means it was worth doing. And that means there was a reason it happened. It's, it's, It's if you can find a reason for it happening out of the mistake. And that's easier to do if you don't wrap a lot of guilt and, and question and, uh, you know, negativity around it. We got some really nice, uh, dappling over here. I got to tell you guys, there's some shaftage going on here, some light shaftage going on by some trees. Really nice. Really, uh, very, very pleasant. It's a good day. Uh, yeah, shout out to Neil Postman, I mean, well, how could you describe what's happening more succinctly than amusing ourselves to death? I mean, if, if hypothetically, and this is not going to happen, but if, if this coronavirus does push this rickety house of cards over, this gigantic Ponzi scheme that is the American economy, it'll be because Americans got so stupefied by entertainment. That They turned politics... I mean, it was not one thing or another. While they were turning politics into entertainment, politics was being robbed of its meaning by backroom deals between Republicans and Democrats to no longer talk about economic issues. But it was easier to do that because people were looking at the goddamn uh, entertainment. And they turned politics into entertainment, and then they put an entertainer in charge. And he ruled the way that a senile television addicted, any one of the people who watches Fox News would rule, and isn't that democracy? Democracy is representative government. The question is, who does it represent? And among those people, the people who think that, you know, well, you should really only be able to vote if you're a white landowner anyway, he is the perfect representation of them. And he helped rule up, he helped He helped guide... I mean, obviously, the thing is going to come apart one way or the other. We are in terminal crisis, have been since the 70s. Trump has nothing to do with that. But he's the one who crashes the plane into the fucking House of Cards. It'd be very funny and very Postman. I think a guy like Postman, like, he got considered hysteric and over-the-top and kind of silly when the book came out. And I think that's... That's the mark, uh, that means that you were essentially just too early. You were recognizing what it was going to come out and look like. You could see where the tendrils were going to lead, but that led you to overstate the case to people who couldn't see that. They would read you, and they wouldn't think of what you were imagining, which is where it's going to end up. They were thinking of what it was in front of them, and they're like, I think you're overreacting, Neil. And that's the problem with persuading people. Neil Postman was, like, getting a bolt from the blue about where our... our uh, where our culture of entertainment was going to lead us. But that left him talking to people for whom the evidence he's going to point to doesn't have the same implications for them because they haven't thought it through that well. Or they thought it through differently. I'm not crazy. I'm just ahead of the curve. The damn Joker. You want to talk about a guy who was above the damn Joker? But the other thing is, in terms of the, the, like, the mechanisms, he's going to be behind the times because he was writing in the fucking 70s or the 80s or whatever. The, techn- like, the internet is something that I think even people who were, were relatively pressing about it back then could not have conceived of. Like, even Foster Wallace's description of the internet is, and he was writing in the 90s when, when DARPAnet already existed and there was a primitive email, is kind of hilariously uh, uh, old-fashioned. Somebody's that saying I don't understand the awesome power of the Federal Reserve. I think I do, but the, the, but that's what I'm talking about. Oh, I should say, there isn't just a perceived difference in uh, there isn't always just a perceived difference in um, in the aims of like the small the small bourgeois Republicans who now are in charge of the political arm of the party and the, like the finance directed ones. There is, like I said, a general like capitalism is what it is. People who understand the neoliberal turn, people who had the Neil or had the Ned Beatty speech given to them uh, in in the in the 70s, like that scene in Network, everybody in America got that in some way or another, subliminally. Jimmy Carter might have gotten it literally, an understanding of like your understanding of these notions is limited by your age and by your expectations. Until now, we are entering a new era. And the Democrats assimilated that. The Democrats are that party now. And now there is a remainder of Republicans who are turning that way. Now, what they recognize is that there's only one capitalism. So you can't create a... While maintaining capitalism as exists, you can't create the kind of autarkic structure that these guys want. So they are more correct that the capitalism's broad, ter- long-term interests are served by globalism, by globalization. But for certain small bourgeois, that fucks them over. Some of them, but not all of them. Some of them end up getting bought out, essentially, and assimilated into the finance structure. And then the ones who aren't are in a position to be actually exploited and and, uh, destroyed by finance capital. But, I mean, that's the same sort of conflict within the bourgeois that happens in every uh, bourgeois dictatorship and that necessitates the state. That's why the state exists, to play referee, and two, sometimes pick one over the other when they're in actual direct material conflict instead of just like I was talking about earlier, kind of illusory ideological conflict. So, in this case, there is a direct conflict between small American bourgeois producers who still exist and the global uh, market. Uh, and, and that's true in different segments of agriculture and other parts of the economy. But there is no, but the powers that be have decided ideologically. That There's no way to maintain capitalism's vitality na- internationally without sacrificing those industries. And those people are either going to sell out and stay among the elite or lose, lose it all and become poor. And if they're poor or middle class, then they're out of the club anyway and we don't have to talk to them. So yeah, no, there is a genuine, I, 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 and I, I, I want to correct myself, because I was talking about ideology, and in talking about it, I forgot to talk about the fact that there is actually a material conflict between different segments of capital. But that the Fed and the government exist to adjudicate those disputes, and the one that's always going to win is going to be the most powerful and influential, uh, and that's going to be the one closest to the actual spigot of capitalism, i.e. finance and Wall Street. Is something happening in the chat? People seem to be fussing and feuding. I wasn't really looking, I was talking. What's going on What's going on out here in this chat room now? Is there going to be a ruckus now? Now I heard, I heard told that there was a ruckus down in the comment section and someone, oh, they got out the Federal Reserve guy. Well, I hope I answered his question or responded to his critique. Because the thing is, like, I always find those Fed people, they're either... Like, I don't get what the point is. There's two points. One point is, yeah, they're, they're the embodied will of, uh, of established finance capitalism. Or what? They're the Jews. At a certain point, there's no difference in the way you're describing them. You're not even describing Jews. You're describing specific people in positions of super high power. And then you just want to abstract them to have the level of, like, supernatural beings... Because you are not materialist enough in your analysis, you haven't squeezed all of the spiritual do bullshit out of the toothpaste tube. Because that's the, thats what you're trying to do when you're trying to make sense of the world. Is you're trying to squeeze the ideology, the emotion, the the bias uh, that comes from living at the that the level of symbolic abstraction, which we all, the map, the symbolic map that we use to navigate our, the real world. Uh, we have to use that. But I don't know what kidnap capital means. That's weird. Uh, does that mean like kidnapping Jerome Powell or something? I gotta say, it's, it's kind of amazing that since Q is established and since there's been sort of a rise in lone wolf, internet-addled right-wing shooters... How come no one has gone after, like, a real, an actual pos- uh, place of power, you know? No one's shown up at the Fed, World Bank, anything like that. Even, like, the closest thing would be some- that dumbass who, like, tried to go to CNN in Atlanta, which makes perfect sense. Like, you think it's the media because you've got a dog's brain. But a lot of these conspiracies understand the role of finance and all this stuff, and yet none of them have ever been afflicted by real psychos. And even with the Pizzagate stuff and the Epstein stuff, all anyone wants to really yell at are celebrities. They want to yell at Chrissy Teigen and not Bill Gates for some reason. I mean, I mean, in the degree they want to yell at... No, they do want to yell at Bill Gates, but that's because he's a famous guy. Bill Gates is just another celebrity. I mean, I'm trying to think of like the, uh, the finance people. Like Len we- Lex Wexner. How often do you hear anybody talk about that motherfucker? That guy who's not been charged. The guy who fucking... Funded Epstein from the beginning, staked him, gave him power of attorney when his only criteria, uh, his entire career at the point that he was hired by Wexner, and given given a fucking mansion, given power of attorney and billions of dollars to manage, was he was a fucking high school math teacher, and then he was a quant at Bear Stearns, and then he was involved in a fucking pyramid scheme that got his partner thrown in jail. And that guy hired him, and he's and he's in charge of this massive uh, modeling and uh, woman's clothing empire. He fucking in the 90s he bought Air America, he bought Southern Air uh, Southern Air Transport, the the fucking CIA front airline that moved heroin through the Golden Triangle and moved cocaine uh, from Nicaragua in the 80s. He fucking bought it and had it moved its headquarters to to Columbus, where he lived, and was, like, in charge of the state of Ohio. He's out there. How about you talking about Les fucking Wexner, not Chrissy Teigen? Even if she's involved in, like, the child-eating, she doesn't even know where those kids come from. They just come down to shoot. You're not even going to get anything from her. just shows how obfuscating all this stuff is. Oh, man, Deutsche Bank. Holy shit, Deutsche Bank is... So does anybody know what BCCI, B-C-C-I is? Banco Ambrassiano? Does that, that ring a bell? So Banco Ambrosiano was the Vatican bank that was used as a piggy bank for the mafia and Gladio during, uh, during the 60s and 70s. Uh, Roberto Calvi, Blackfire Bridge, that whole deal. I've talked about it. Uh, and B- BCCI was the, another bank that was uh, discovered during the Iran-Contra uh, hearings to have basically just been a giant pass-through uh, front for CIA black money, like cocaine for cash, then for guns, for whatever, whatever anybody needed. Uh, and I would say that Deutsche Bank is that now. When you look at their connections to Epstein, uh, cartels, uh, Russian mafia, big time, I mean, that was fucking. That was Donald Trump's job, not being on The Apprentice. His job before he became president was laundering Russian drug money, courtesy of Deutsche Bank. So that's another reason that this the, the conspiratorial turn is is inevitable, and that's and, and inevitable given our love of narrative and and uh, our, our atomization. But it's so distressing because. Just leaves you to just. Who wants to talk about some boring banker when you talk, talk about all the celebs on the TV that you hate all the time and that you yell at when they're doing all their gay rights bullshit? BCCI was connected to Robert Maxwell, yes, as Maxwell was connected to Iran Contra. And the Promise scandal, which, if anybody, anybody read the 50 biggest conspiracies of all time, uh, a classic book, uh, also a graphic novel. They talked, that's where I learned about uh, Promise, the Promise software, Danny Calisaro, his investigation of octopus that led to his suicide in a hotel room in Virginia. Uh, no, he was, he was like a zealot of, of 80s spook shit, and then he just fell off of his yacht. The Lady Ghislaine. Man, uh, I'm very interested to see what happens with the, the Ghislaine trial. My, my gut is this is all limited hangout. It's the only thing that really makes sense, but we'll see. I just imagine her, like, taking a, a plea deal to go to a spa prison in exchange for just tidying up all the loose ends and maybe burying one or two guys who, like, maybe Trump has a grudge against or something. And then saying goodbye. I, don't, I just don't understand. I don't understand. When they found her alive, I was like, well, fuck, I don't know. That's a whole level of uh, the, the simulation that I haven't cracked yet. And the funny thing is, is you can't even say, well, they can't kill her because we all know in our hearts that they could, because I remember saying they can't kill him on the first episode of True or Not, I said that. They can't kill him. And then they did. Because what are you going to do about it? They kill her. What are you going to do about it? What? You're going to lose faith in the government? Oh, wow. We're terrified of that. What are you going to do? Complain about it on Twitter? Go to a fucking QAnon protest? We don't give a shit. Do I feel like Ed Tom Bell? <laughs> I just feel overmatched. No, I feel good. I feel fine. I'm vibing. I feel like a good, a, a not, a, a, not, a, not, a, not a good version, because I don't think I'm, good, I'm that good, but like a non-evil Anton Chigurh right now. Because I feel like Anton kind of was self-actualizing in a perverse way, and I feel like I'm getting closer to that. He's a psychopathic killer, but so what? Plenty of them around. Oh, someone says they've been watching Lodge 49 and loving it. Good. That show rips. I recommend it to everybody. I wish I'd gotten just one more season, though. All right, I'm gonna go soon, folks. I have one more question. Oh, just thank you for reminding me. Smoke pork was very good. It wasn't as good as Will's, but I didn't expect that. First time trying and all. Uh, it didn't have like the crackling outer crust that he gets. Uh, but that's. I mean, I was working with fucking Kohl's. and first time ever. So, uh, but no, it was it was juicy. The, it was there was it was, it was uh, had some marbling on the flesh. Uh, went very well with the hoisin and the little potato bun. It was good. I was happy about it. I talked about Portland at the beginning of the episode. Worst Transformers movie. Great way to end. It's hard to say any of call any of them bad. You know, it kind of misses the point of uh, a Michael Bay movie. They're they're not to be judged. They're to be witnessed. And let me think. The second one is universally considered the most incoherent because it's, it was interrupted by the writer's strike, and they essentially started, because of how much it costs to keep uh, that production moving, they essentially just kept shooting without a script, which you could definitely tell. Uh, and so that's usually considered the worst one. The third one's pretty good. Uh, it's the most, like, narratively coherent. I, uh, the, the Mark Wahlberg ones are both pretty good. The whole thing of Mark Wahlberg from Texas is very funny. I really like Cogman in the fifth one. And of course, the thing where Harriet Tubman was a secret friend of the Autobots during the antebellum period. Wow, That was fantastic. I guess that leaves the fourth one. Yeah, the fourth one is also kind of annoying because it's a, um, uh, but the fourth one has Stanley Tucci and he does a great job. I guess 2. Yeah, 2 is the worst one. Although 2 has its moments as well. There's a thing where they have a giant uh, evil transformer that's made out of other transformers that are all earth movers and construction devices. And there's these two giant uh, uh, balls, like iron balls they use to smash. Wrecking balls. Two wrecking balls hanging from, from chains. At the crotch, and John Turturro is trying to call in a, 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 an airstrike, and he goes, I'm underneath the alien's scrotum. And then, what's even funnier is they use that as a moment to show off a railgun, which they use to blow up this transformer. Railgun technology, which is one of those massive fucking Pentagon boondoggles, they spend billions of dollars on this hypothetical shit that doesn't work. And then they make propaganda movies where it's like, okay, yeah, this might seem like a big waste of money, but what if there's a giant Transformer trying to destroy uh, one of the Pyramids of Giza so that he can create uh, grab a tele- telemetry tracker and create a giant space laser to destroy Earth? Then you're going to want a fucking railgun. They also put the F-22 in the first one. What if we... Yeah, sure, there's no real dogfights anymore. Air superiority is, is beyond established. Uh, but... And there's no possibility of dogfights, but what if there's? What if Starscream is there? And Starscream, remember, he's he's a very fast jet. We're gonna have to be even faster than him. Yeah, just literal propaganda. Railguns also used uh, in the film Eraser, where they have a, a, a handheld railgun that like shoots people through walls and shit. Man, S-S-S-S-S= Schwarzenegger really knew how to pick them. The man was just a talent. Uh, all right, guys. Now that I got you got me thinking about all my faves. You got me thinking about my Transformers movies. So thank you. I'm feeling good. Bye bye.